0: to airtime, My name is David Fisher. I'm your moderator this evening. I would like to introduce the marvelous, although slow-moving, Kitty Goddard.
1: <laughs> we all have our faults. Anyway, thank you, David. Um, just a quick uh, note for everybody tonight about a very special event that is happening tomorrow that I have an idea many of you are unaware of, and that is that Alamo Drafthouse Cinema, DFW, was nominated for an Obelisk Award this year, which is sponsored by the Business Council for the Arts. AIR, as in Arts Incubator of Richardson, nominated them for this award as one of the corporate arts partnerships for the past year. And um, it's based on a multi-year partnership that has grown and shown success and is a two-way partnership, and our partnership here certainly exemplifies that. So tomorrow, think of us as we're down at the Below mansion cheering on Bill DiGatano, the COO of Alamo Drafthouse DFW, as they accept their award, and we're just thrilled for them. So a round of applause for Bill and the staff at Alamo. A quick note, this is halfway through airtime season eight. Hard to believe. So the next one will be in February. It'll be February the 20th. And our guest artist will be Michael Gooden, who is an architect and residential designer. And the movie will be the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm -hmm. So uh, put that on your calendar now. And also please make a note that airtime is now on Tuesdays. Um, After seven seasons of being on Wednesday. Uh, Alamo did ask us if we would be interested in in going to a new evening, and we said, "This is your home and your house. Absolutely, we can move, but it also has its challenges. So please encourage your friends to come and visit us on a Tuesday in February. And now I will turn it over to David.
0: Thank you, Kitty. As she said, welcome to Season 8 of Airtime presented by the Arts Incubator of Richardson in partnership with the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Richardson, Texas. Airtime is an interview series featuring artists and creative thinkers in Richardson and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Airtime is funded in part for the generosity of Eric Wise of Wealthstar Advisors and through a grant from the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission. It's November 14th, 2017. Please help me welcome our guests this evening, Paulette Martzolf and Jim Lively from Ali Kush Lifestyle and Martsolf Lively Contemporary
2: Art.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you, Kitty, for inviting us. We're honored to be here.
0: So, Paulette, so you've been working in fashion design for, is, it, is that what you would call what you do, fashion design?
2: Well, it's so much more than that. Um, I am a designer, but one of the things that was really important to me in, in starting my business was that I would keep my manufacturing here in Dallas, Richardson, now. Um, so I remained true to that. It was just really important to me. And um, I design all the products that we sell, uh, which is clothing and jewelry. Um, I work with some artists who do hand-painted scarves, or woven scarves, that coordinate back with what I do. And um, we have a space over off Interurban where we manufacture everything. I have an incredible team who are so talented. And not only do I design it, we create it and we sell it just from this one location. And um, I had 24 years in Snyder Plaza where I really built up um, a a large clientele. And that really allowed me to make this move because I have a a steady uh, clientele that I'm not dependent on walk-by traffic anymore. So it's truly all done right on location.
0: So you're both an artist and a designer and a business person.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it certainly uh, requires that I have all the talents, and uh, I think the only reason I've been able to survive all all this time is the fact that I am very diverse, and I'm, I'm willing to jump in and do whatever needs to be done for the business to be successful. And with the ups and downs in the economy, that's meant... I've had to be everything from the janitor to the designer to the marketing person, whatever it takes. So how did you get your start in
0: in this wild business?
2: So that's really interesting. Um, I am originally from Newfoundland and never, ever dreamt in a thousand years that I would ever be able to pursue my passion. And I've always been passionate about fashion. And um, I ended up going to college and studying business and uh, worked in Newfoundland. And then um, ended up meeting somebody and moving away and uh, got married and ended up in Toronto. And it was just like my life began. Uh, I applied for a design school and... uh, at the time, they said they were totally filled, and uh, I just said, I promise you, I, I just was not going to give up. I said, if you let me in, I promise you I'll be a great student. And the guy, I mean, I really would not, I was relentless. I wasn't giving up. And finally, he said, we're making a place for you. And they let me in, and uh, true to what I said, I, uh, I ended up Going through the program, winning a scholarship, I got to go to Paris and study for a summer, which was phenomenal. I was like, "This cannot be my life." So, yeah, it's just been amazing.
0: So, as a child, were you making clothes for your siblings and dolls and?
2: Absolutely, yes, yes. For my dolls, for my siblings, for my friends, um, I. Just, I'd uh, decide to make something uh, on a Thursday evening to go out on a Friday night. And it's, it's just been a passion. It really has.
0: Now, Jim, your path has been slightly different, um, in, but in, in a just as exciting way. Tell us about uh, your past and other careers and how you've now got individual art.
3: Well, I spent most of my adult life practicing law. And uh, I always loved contemporary art, and every time I would go to a city, I'd always go to the Modern Museum of Art if they had one. And uh, I started dabbling in painting in the late '90s and discovered that I had a little bit of talent there. And then I did abstract and moved to figurative work, and then morphed into filmmaking uh, a few years ago. And so, it's been a very uh, interesting transition. It's a much. Happier life for me than practicing law, I can honestly say. But um, I've very much enjoyed it, and especially since I met Paulette and we were able to combine our talents and uh, create Martzoff Lively and Ali Kush lifestyle.
0: Well, and certainly, I mean, that's the challenge for any, especially individual artists, a visual artist is like in fashion, you have to be a business person as well as a, an artist and, and wear two different hats even if you're represented by
3: someone. That's correct. I mean, having the, I worked in corporate law and so having the the business background has really helped and I had, was fortunate to have, meet some really interesting and good people early on in my art career. And I had a design, or excuse me, I had my studio in a gallery in the design district in Dallas and I really learned how to curate shows and deal with artists which are, you know, they're different animals in, in the corporate world and uh, you got to handle them much differently. But uh, anyway, I brought that experience into our new endeavor, and I think it really has paid its benefits.
0: Is curating an art show the same as curating a fashion show?
2: I've curated many fashion shows, and it's incredibly time-consuming and stressful. (laughs) So I think the fashion part of it is...
3: Much more difficult. <laughs> much
2: more difficult, yeah. And it's just wonderful. I mean, it's been so much fun to have Jim on board. And together, we just kind of read each, each other's minds. It's really such a fun experience. I just... It it would be like a natural progression for me to move into the art because I, I absolutely love art. And... Um, uh, I was delighted the first time I could actually buy my first piece, and, and that's something that's it been very important to me, and um, meeting Jim and seeing what he does and how compatible we are, it's really been exciting, and it's been so much fun when we've had art exhibits, and we hope to do a lot more of that.
3: Yes, and we, and we have literally just opened March of this year, and I had my art in there. I created a new... Uh, a series just specifically for the opening and we've had one artist in there and her name is Melissa Ellis, she's done a phenomenal job and it was fun watching Paulette match the fashions and the jewelry to the artwork and people, it just had a tremendous response from people and uh, it was just a, a very good experience both for us and for the artist.
2: Uh, yeah, Melissa, she does oil, and her work is very textural. And so it was really fun because I uh, designed some jewelry and uh, picked some of my fabrics that really work back with the colors in her collection. And it was just a really fun thing. I think she was really surprised after Jim hung all the art, and then I displayed all the clothes around it, and, and she was just so surprised at how coordinated everything was. And we just had a blast doing it, so yeah.
0: Well, you're skipping ahead to question six now. Uh, you, I mean, you mentioned when we were talking earlier about the tactile nature of fabric and mm. how you love, even if it's a smooth or a rough fabric, that there is a tactile nature to it. And I can certainly see that with jewelry too, with stones or yes. metals. So is there, a same, is there the same notion of tactileness in, in your visual art, Jim?
3: Uh, yes, uh, I think there is, and that was what's so good about Melissa's art. I mean, it was very textural, and that's why I was—I knew her from my previous experience in the design district, and so I knew that her, her art and Paulette's fashion would just mesh so well, and that's why I wanted her to be one of the first artists to exhibit there.
2: Along with our personalities, because we just had so much fun together. We really connected, so... It was great working with her. So uh, when we were
0: talking earlier, you both, or I think you started, and then we talked about the term creative custom. Um, Tell us what that means to you, both in terms of fashion and in terms of visual art. Because you're creating these pieces for someone
2: else. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think of my work as being creative custom and creative ready to wear. So each season I do a collection that's on the floor that people can come in and and buy right off the floor. But I think what's really made me uh, sustain all the ups and downs in the economy is the custom aspect. And so I really uh, encourage people to let us help them build a wardrobe. And then from season to season, uh, I... I know what they have and I am constantly buying new things that I know will work back for my existing customers and things that will excite them. And so it's such a creative process and uh, I think they absolutely love that about it. And it's only sold from our one location so uh, it's never like you're, if you're so inclined to be worried about somebody having the same thing, that's not an issue. but we've also done lots of events where several of the same ladies have been at the same event but we're always very careful to make sure that we don't let any crossover happen
0: well if you have these reliable they're going reliable uh, customers and clients they're going to say oh Paulette I need something for this gala and you say oh well so and so is wearing this so let's put you in this
2: a- absolutely and w- we do a lot of Mother of the bride, mother of the groom—that's something that I didn't actively seek out, but it kind of found me. Um, so that's something that we do a lot of. But we really dress people for everyday wear as as well. So it's kind of—it's got—it's done the full gamut. I started out doing pajamas; that's where the name Ali Koush came from. And now here I am, dressing people for every occasion. So.
0: So how did you get started working together?
2: Well, uh, that's interesting. So um, I'd been in Snyder Plaza for 24 years, and then they, the same people owning, owning the building, they raised my rent over 75%, and it was just eating me alive. And fortunately, um, six years ago, I bought the building over on Interurban, uh, for my manufacturing, and I was like, "Oh, this, you know, th- maybe I'm crazy to do this, but uh, something in my gut was telling me I, I should do it." And then when this happened in Snyder Plaza, I really thought, "You know, I'm just going to pack it in. I just, I can't do it anymore." And uh, so I sent a letter out to my clients, and I mean, they just panicked. They were like, "Please, you can't do this. You." Paulette you know I mean they were telling me I was in Paris and I was sitting there and I gasped and my husband said what happened to one of the children no Paulette's closing you know it was crazy and uh, so they they said to me we will follow you wherever you go and at the time I was not zoned for retail on interurban and I have to say the city of Richardson is phenomenal and uh, I went to the city, and they said, look, we want your business here. We will zone you for retail. And it was just like that. It happened. And so um, my, my customers panicked in the last quarter, and they shopped like crazy because they thought I was go- <laughs> probably going out of business. And fortunately for me, it really helped subsidize the total remodel that I did on the building and um, I do encourage you to come by and see our space it's really cool it's just this very industrial chic space and my clients absolutely love it they they said it's just like somewhere in New York you know so it's it's been great and true to their word my clients have been coming out there and been incredibly supportive. So I hope we can continue and make it work because I have awesome staff and I want to keep them employed.
3: And to your question though, Paulette saw my artwork online.
1: Oh.
3: As an attorney, i <laughs> oh, And yeah. I was in a similar situation. I'd had my studio <laughs> down in the design district for a number of years and Again, they were raising the rent as well. And after we met, we struck up a really good <laughs> friendship. And uh, we kind of just mutually start uh, discussing this endeavor about you know, merging fashion with art, with fine art. And uh, what resulted is what we have now at Interurban. Yeah, sorry about that. I got carried problem. <laughs> I would
0: have gotten but, you back.
2: Yeah, but when I saw Jim's art uh, and... And I went to some of the events at the gallery he was represented in, and then he was saying how his lease was up, and I'm like, don't, don't, don't commit to anything. Let's just let's talk some more because I so wanted to, the next part would be to incorporate the art into it. So I'm just really glad that we made that work together.
0: Now, you had a store for 25 years in, in Snyder Plaza. How was the... So, obviously, you established a, a customer experience going into that store. Mm-hmm. How was the customer experience in that store different or the same? What, what's similar and what's different about the customer experience now in this new space?
2: Um, the difference is everybody who comes to the new space are coming with a purpose, and they're coming to buy, and in the other space, it was in a much more heavy traffic. So we spent a lot of time with people who really weren't going to purchase, and but that was that was fine. But uh, so it, it's different now. It's it, the people who come; they it's destination. They're coming there for a reason.
0: And is the fashion arranged differently? What is what is the experience of coming in?
2: It is arranged differently because when I was in Snyder Plaza, I had a full range of sizes from like a 0 to an 18 in every single thing that I had. And I wanted this to be a little more boutique-y, a little more unique. And so uh, each design, I only do maybe two sizes. But the difference being we're so experienced now that we can take measurements and we know what size. If a person comes in and we don't have their size, we can very confidently make it for them. And we're just finding that people, there's no resistance to that. I think in a lot of ways they like it because it gives it even more of a customized feel. So um, it's, it's actually been good. And the other thing is, at the end of the season in Snyder Plaza, I would have a huge inventory. And when you're in business, you don't really need to have a bunch of inventory. And I had a huge amount of inventory. And my, um, my first season in this location, it was like I had one rack. It was like this is really neat. So, so, so it's all that's been a good thing.
3: And I will say the ambiance is different too. And oh. the Snyder Plaza was a very upscale women's uh, boutique, and now we have I would call it industrial chic. We have the concrete floors and the ductwork, and great fine art that surrounds the walls that fits in very well with the fashion. When used the same fixtures that she had in Snodder Plaza, which were very contemporary at that time. And I think, you know, it's it's a different ambiance, and people have responded very well. Her longtime customers have said, Paulette, this is more you than that prior location was. It's really true. I had
2: uh, two clients who flew in yesterday, like really good clients, one from Cashiers and the other one from Houston, and they were just like, we absolutely love the space, and uh, I, I hear people say it's just so soothing. Like, they love the music we play, and it's just a really good feeling in there. And the people that work in the store are absolutely amazing. We've all worked together for years, and they're just top-notch. Yeah.
0: You said you had a talent for... Um Making the making fashion that fits different people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been over the past few months sort of binge watching old seasons of Project Runway, and uh, one of the challenges that the designers always get tripped up on is when they have real people to design for who have real bodies that are not model bodies. Um, how do you design differently? How why how is it that you're good at that? How is it that that's one of your brilliance talents
2: I think that is like one of the biggest things that has led to the success of Kush. and first when I opened in Snyder Plaza everything in the store I personally had made myself I had zero employees just to kind of like to give you an idea about how naive I was and everything kind of fit me and I'm like a size two four well that is not the average woman And I learned that very quickly. And I immediately went home and started cutting and started sewing. And I'd say for the first 10 years of the business, I was in the store every day. I listened. I really listened to what people were saying that they wanted, what they needed. I saw those real bodies. I was in the change room with them. And I realized that I had to change the product. And uh, so I really learned what the female figure was about. And I know, I definitely know who the average American woman is. And, uh, you know, she's not five foot nine. And uh, she's very curvy. And there's just all shapes and sizes. And, And I've made these pieces that will accommodate all the different body types. When someone walks into the store, whoever's helping them will look at them and they'll know immediately what to pull. And ultimately the customer will say, how did you, how did you figure that out? You know, like she's just surprised. And so we, we really have that nailed.
0: <laughs> now the other challenge that the designers on Project One Way always get tripped up on is the men's challenge. Have you ever done men's clothes or had any? How, um, how is that whole side of the business different?
2: I, I haven't, except for some friends. I, I had some friends ask me to do a special shirt for weddings. But honestly, I've just been so busy that there's absolutely zero time for me to do other things. So, um, yeah, uh, I've had lots of people say, why don't you do men's? I just don't have the time. So
0: when we were speaking earlier, we commiserated, and I guess this would be with my background in theater, we were commiserating on clients who think they know what they want, but you have to sort of translate, uh, translate what they're actually saying into you need to translate and tell them what they actually want. And it would seem to be the same if someone comes in and wants to commission a painting to say, you know, well, this is what I want. I want it to look like this. Um, Tell us about your experiences with that, and I'm sure there's some good stories there.
2: Yeah, well, people will come in, and especially where we do um, a lot of special events, and so they will come in with a picture. And... You kind of look at the picture, and then you look at the woman, and you think, hmm, maybe not. And But you have to be very subtle and just um, say, well, okay, let's just kind of go through the process. And we're just good at kind of going along with that and then pulling things that we know are going to work on the individual and so many times when people come in, it's like they have one idea, but by the time we're finished, they've totally switched gears and they're really happy with, with what ultimately happens. So, I ju- actually, I just had an experience today and um, one of my store manager, who's amazing, she had worked with this lady and they had figured out this mother of the, bra- uh, well, it was the grandmother, and I just said to her, I said, she looked fabulous in that. I was so excited about it. And then she came back with her daughter in law. And oh my God, she just switched everything. And they came for a fitting today. And <laughs> so Kelly, store manager, came back and she said, the mother in law, uh, the daughter in law is doing the fitting out there right now. And when I saw the outfit, I just thought, oh my gosh, it was just. What Kelly had picked out was so much better. And it was just like, how. what do you do in a situation like that? It's like, yeah. But anyway, sometimes that happens. It's out of your control. So anyway, I'm not real happy about the outfit she's going to walk away with. But the daughter-in-law made that happen.
0: And does that happen <laughs> with visual art, too? They want to hang it upside down or <laughs> against a yellow wall or?
3: Well, if, from my perspective as an artist, I... I kind of want to create a piece and I really don't have somebody in mind or where it's going to go or it's going to match the couch or something like that. And I have the luxury of just doing what I want to do and that's kind of what I did. And the thing I did when we first opened the business was I knew all this great, uh, we have this great woodwork with uh, concrete floors and I wanted to do a series of paintings that really blended in well with that and uh, I know Paulette loves wood and so I had a lot of uh, it was acrylic but it had a lot of wood tones in it and so that's kind of why I did the, the the first series anyway but I really don't paint uh, I do commission work and the commissions and you know you do listen to the client what they want and everything usually it's a very specific piece and my brother has been really good. He, he writes novels, and he always wants me to do a painting for his covers of his novels. And he always has something very specific in mind, like a mountain or, or something, and so I do what he, he asks me to do. But uh, other than that, I just paint what I want to paint, and I make films that I want to make that are just very, uh, in my mind, very creative and very experimental.
0: So you you mentioned a a painting that matches the couch and as I was sort of thinking about fashion it there is there I mean once you get past the dress or the separates or the or the painting there is it sits on a person along with hair and makeup and a purse and the 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 tuxedo that's next to that how do how do you work in the big picture uh with accessories and and people and faces and hair and makeup and all of that, or couches and curtains and floors? and.
2: Well, it it certainly is a whole process. And, like, when somebody comes in, I'll kind of look at them, and and the girls will, and we kind of figure out sort of what colors are going to look really great on them. And uh, are they... Should we put ruffles? Should we put angular... I mean, you can kind of determine that as you talk to a person. What's your lifestyle? Um, get a feel for what they like. And uh, we'll usually make the outfit, and I'll probably come up with something uh, accessory wise, just non committal, that I think might appeal to the lady. And um, so it, it kind of becomes a total package, that's for sure. So you, you
0: mentioned, you also mentioned, Jim, uh, filmmaking. So tell us about how you got into filmmaking and tell us about this mannequin theater in the back of the store.
3: Well, the mannequin theater is, uh, Paulette and I wanted to do something different. And uh, so we created this space in back. She has 25 years of designs back there. And of course, uh, unlimited supply of mannequins and so we have the mannequins surrounding a screen that we pull down and we show experimental films and we we may in the future actually have a sponsor a film festival here of experimental films we're still again kind of in our emphasis there you know at the, the, the gallery but uh, I just you know to do your question as far as filmmaking I it's just kind of for me a national extension of art and I really have enjoyed that, actually much more now than sitting down with my paintbrush and trying to create something. It's just it's fun to do that. I mean, use all the different special effects and all the software that's available today, and I've been fortunate to have had some of my films selected and actually have won a few awards in different film festivals around the country, so I've just really enjoyed that. So would you call film a visual art or a performing art? Mine's a visual art, I'd say, because if there's an actor in it, it's, it's me. And usually <laughs> and usually it's not even me. It's just something I pick up on. And to give you an example, today I, I live in an apartment that overlooks downtown Dallas, so I have this great view of Clyde Warren Park. And I spent three hours today dropping newspapers down in front of a window filming that. And I started editing it, and it looks really good. <laughs> And so it may be my next film. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell us about how you're supporting, how you mentor other designers or painters or artists uh, through your careers. How you, Who who are your greatest protégés and how do you feel that you are giving back to the industry?
3: Well, I started when I, and I was fortunate to uh, be involved with Luminarte Gallery in the design district. And uh, circumstances kind of happened where I kind of stood in because they had a change in personnel so I was able to uh, start curating shows down there I mean I was was educated as a lawyer so I had no idea what I was doing but I I learned quickly on the fly and that's what I took when Paulette and I met and we are trying to represent local artists not represent them but to exhibit them it's a non-exclusive type of arrangement so that we you know we represent them only for the certain period of time, so they can make money the way they want to make it. And just to give you an example, this artist that we have now, you know, we sold several paintings of hers, and we have a very, very uh, rewarding uh, arrangement, so that the artist gets most of the proceeds. We want to just cover our cost there. It's not completely philanthropic, but it's close. And she got another commission out of this. So, I mean, it was definitely, a very beneficial situation for her, and that's the kind of thing we want to do. We don't need to make money selling art, but we like to promote artists, and especially regional artists.
2: And um, I have done a lot of work with El Centro College. I've worked with a number of different colleges, but uh, right around the time, actually, when Project Runway began, um, I was approached by uh, the person who headed up that department uh, to come in and do a project with the students and I could decide what that project was. And over the course of six weeks, I, they would have to come up with a design, whatever I determined uh, it should be. And they'd have to do sketches, they'd have to pick the fabric, it would be a judging and then at the end of the year, it would be incorporated as part of their fashion show. And I've had this ongoing relationship with El Centro College. I ended up having three students from there who worked uh, full-time with me and just an incredible college with uh, great talent and uh, a very dedicated group of teachers there. And it's just been the joy and I've been able to donate a lot of my fabric to them and, and a lot of the students there do not have a lot of money so it's really been great to be able to help support them.
0: So the movie this evening is The Devil Wears Prada. Do you find it an accurate representation of the fashion business? How cutthroat and
2: hard-edged it is? Okay. <laughs> so first when I moved here... I moved here 28 years ago and I worked in the industry and I swore I could never do it because, yes, it is cutthroat. I would never survive in it. And that's when I knew I had to do something on my own. Yeah. It sucked. (laughs) So you have found your own long
0: term niche here in, in Dallas when your clients have followed you and I love the story about being in an airport in Paris and saying, like, ah, you're
2: she's yeah, closing. Yeah.
0: So what is the what is the secret sauce? What is the key that keeps your customers
2: coming back? We really care about our customers. We never sell our customers something that we don't feel is right for them. They know they can trust us. Um, they know we will do everything we can to make it work. We we never miss a deadline. We're so committed. But our customers are our friends. I mean, we have such great relationships with them, and uh, I just... Um, there have been so many times that someone will walk in and say, it's like a party in here. Like everybody's so happy. Everybody's having a great time. Um, clients are helping each other you know, make the right choices. And it's, it's just a great environment. And uh, we care and we're honest. So,
0: so you just launched this new uh, endeavor. What do the next 2, three, four, five, 10, 20 years look like? Uh, what are your n- next dream projects? What are you working on? Mm, oh,
2: boy. A little bit of travel, hopefully. <laughs> I've worked all my life, and uh, I have an incredible team, and uh, love love the space we're in now, and we'll continue to promote artists, but I'm hoping that uh, somewhere along the way I can at least get away, do a little bit of travel, and just kind of expand my horizons that way. And you, Jim?
3: I agree 100% on what you said. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can open it up to the uh, audience. Are there any questions in the audience? In the back. Uh-huh.
2: It's I'm going to hang on oh. one second
0: because I'm going to repeat the question because oh. we're going to put it because it's for the podcast. The first question was uh, what's your favorite piece of clothing? Is it a particular time of day, a particular piece? What do you really love to design?
2: I absolutely love to design jackets. And I don't know if uh, I loved Armani when I was in design school. And uh, I, I don't know if that's where that kind of came sort of evolved from, but I just loved doing jackets. And I have to say it was probably the best selling item, especially when we were in Snyder Plaza. Oh my gosh, my jacket sales were really great. Um, People's lifestyles are different now. And so there isn't really the demand for that the way it was, except you know, depending, some of the working women, yeah, maybe in a corporate environment. So you constantly have to change. And even though I love to do that, it's probably not what I do so much of anymore, except for special occasions. Other questions?
0: Uh-huh. What a great question. Uh, the question was, uh, when does, a, when does a, a piece of film go from being just a movie to a piece of art? And, and likewise, where does a piece of uh, clothing go from being a clothing to being fashion to likewise being art?
3: Well, I'd say from my perspective on the, the film part of it, it's so subjective. you know. And I've had a lot of uh, films that I've made. I said, God, this, I really nailed it this time. This is really good and I submit it, and I get 10 rejections, you know? And then some films that I think are okay, and I went ahead and submit them, and they've got wide acceptance. And so it, it's just really hard, and you never know because it's uh, the film festival, it, it's like um, visual art. It's just that it's, sometimes it's in the, uh, who is jurying it, you know, and makes that decision. That just, It's so discretionary and subjective on their part too. But uh, if I feel good about it, then that's when it makes that transition to your question, I guess. Uh, for me,
2: it's really great when I have gotten to do fashion shows, and I've been fortunate to have done many, and I've been the producer, and so I've had, like, the ability to do just ever whatever I wanted with it. And that's where I could really turn fashion into more of costume and and that was really really the fun part of doing the fashion shows and uh, so but also I I love to personally always I'm not I'm not the Chanel type that you know look in the mirror and before you leave take off one thing I'm like, let's add another thing. <laughs> so more is better in my books.
0: So th- thanks, one more question in the back. Yeah, this is probably, hold up. Is there,
2: in, in, been in the business for, for quite a long time, I've seen a lot of trends
3: come and go, is there anything in the past that has not come back into fashion
0: that you wish would come back into fashion? Is there anything in the past that has not come back into fashion that you wish would come back into fashion?
2: You know, I thought you were going to say, is there anything that was in fashion that I hoped would not come back? (laughs) Because I know exactly what that
1: is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, the thing... First, when I moved here, women were wearing these rompers. Like, do you remember those? They were like, like... uh, jumpsuits but it was like baby outfits and I'm like everybody was wearing them and I thought that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen so um, hmm what's that? <laughs> you know what I mean it was back oh wow just the early 90s but they were really popular and ooh I don't know ah I mean everything has kind of recycled itself. Like, I personally love the fashion of the 20s, but wow, it's just like everything kind of does come back in some kind of different way. But, um, hmm, I, I can't answer that one. I'm sorry. So if we see terry cloth tube tops
0: in Paulette's store next year, we will know you have inspired it.
2: Yeah,
0: yes. So we'll finish up with our top 10 biographical short questions. These are quick answer, lightning round questions. Some of them will be split between the two of you. So, question one Pie or cake?
2: Cake.
3: Cake.
0: Number two Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Beatles.
2: The Beatles. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Number three Your favorite flavor of bagel?
2: Whole wheat Mm, with
0: multigrain. Very good. For Paulette, your favorite fashion designer, dead or alive?
2: Izzy Miyake.
0: For Jim, your favorite artist, dead or alive? Rothko. Number six, Eiffel Tower or Empire State? Eiffel Tower.
3: Empire State.
0: Number seven, your dream vacation spot?
3: Bora Bora. Italy. Number
0: eight, the movie you've seen the most times. Four weddings and a funeral.
3: (laughs) The good, bad, and ugly. Ah, Classic.
0: (laughs) Number nine, The Wizard of Oz or Gone with the Wind.
2: Wizard of Oz.
3: Wizard of Oz.
0: Number ten, the person you'd like most to see wearing one of your dresses or owning one of your paintings. Hmm. (laughs) we will have to come back to (laughs) that you will email me and we will post it i will we will edit it (laughs) (laughs) ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome or thank uh, paulette and jim and we will turn it back over to kitty
1: Thanks again to Paulette and Jim, and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to go visit their studio and just see, first of all, the lovely environment, and I'm sure that um, as eclectic as it is, has inspired their artistic and creative sides. Thank you all so much. It was just great. Um, I have just a couple of comments. One is, for those of you who will be coming to airtime in March, I know, that's not February, Our guest artist is here tonight, Chris Chris Garcia, who has invented this incredible artistic digital clock. Chris, just give a wave so everybody will know who to look for in March. So we are glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, Reminder, all of the airtime interviews are podcast and are available on iTunes. So if you missed the first six years, (laughs) some of you might have, not all. Please go check it out on iTunes because I think you'll find a wealth of creative information there. Um, and the last thing is, is happy Thanksgiving to all and enjoy the movie. Thank you.